Hello, everyone, and we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. You've tuned into the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America. We welcome you all, and we will begin this morning with our morning prayer. Good day, everyone. I'm reading from Science and Health, page 458, Rudimental Divine Science, page 10, and Blue Book, page 224. The Christianly scientific man reflects the divine law, thus becoming a law unto himself. He does violence to no man, neither is he a false accuser. The Christian scientist wisely shapes his course and is honest and consistent in following the leadings of divine mind. He must prove through living as well as healing and teaching that Christ's way is the only one by which mortals are radically saved from sin and sickness. You must feel and know that God alone governs man, that his government is harmonious, that he is too pure to behold iniquity and divides his power with nothing evil or material that material laws are only human beliefs which govern mortals wrongfully. Oh, may the light that is never dim so encompass you that no night is there. May his angels hold thee in their power and songs of science be heard in the intuitions of thought till your life is in tune with the rhythm of God. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank Beautiful. You. Thank you. Wonderful treatment. Okay, watching points mm. from 500 watching points. Watch number 416. Watch lest in your zeal to go forward and to do God's work, you use human will without subordinating it to truth. The way to build through spiritual power and to build up confidence in spiritual power is first to know that you that of yourself you can do nothing. Then you must realize that because the power of God is with you, you can do all things, that nothing can stay its hand, that it is always successful, and that there is no conceivable collection of falsity that can stand before it. If you do not start with this realization, you are apt to use human will alone. If, when the need comes to exercise spiritual power, you start in without this proper preliminary of realizing that of yourself you can do nothing, without this deflation of self, and that what you are carrying to the problem is wholly the power of God, the power that holds the universe as you would hold a rubber ball, you are not subordinating the power of the human will to truth. You must not start to build until you get the right thing to build. First realize the power that you represent, the infinite law of which you are the custodian, and then take that to the problem. End quote. Thank you. Okay, comment on that. 
goes well with yesterday's quote. Um, obedience to the truth gives us an immense power for service. Thank you. That was just what I was thinking as well. Quote in our Bible study yesterday by Mary Baker Eddy. I was also thinking of that line. You must not start to build until you get the right thing to build. <laughs> when I first was building the store for the website, I spent I spent quite a bit, maybe maybe two months working on one, and then I realized it was all wrong, and <laughs> I got the the real answer. So, and I never do this, but I just deleted what I did and started over, and I think it was only three days, and it was ready. Yeah, yeah so, that's uh, wonderful. That's a good example. You know, in in science and health, <laughs> those pages three ninety to three ninety three, we're told to rise in the strength of spirit. And it's very easy to rise in what you think is your own strength, the strength of human will. And that's true in in seeking healing too. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna be feel good today and just push, push, push um, humanly rather than waiting for God to move upon the waters to let him he's the healer, he's the physician, rise in the strength of spirit. Only. It goes too with walking humbly with thy God, right? Um, Micah 6, what we talked about at our Bible study. And I'd read from Spurgeon um, what he had said in his lecture Walk humbly when you're spiritually strong, walk humbly when you have too much work to do, walk humbly in all your motives, walk humbly in studying God's word, walk humbly under trials, walk humbly in your devotions, walk humbly when you're working with your brothers in Christ, walk humbly dealing with sinners. So you see, it goes on and on. That was a good thing for me to consider before you do anything. You stop and let the Christ go before you in humility. And then you do have immense powers for service. And it requires uh, a little practice, doesn't it, to get to where you have confidence in your spiritual sense? Because getting yourself out of the way is not very easy sometimes. And yet, Maybe it's helpful. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and and yet, you have to to make room for the truth to come in. And it and if you're not used to doing it, it might feel a little like you're taking this huge leap of faith. And it might not feel comfortable, and it might feel different. But if you do it, and you wait for God to move upon the waters. It will have wonderful results, and it will change you, as many of us have, you know, have, have discovered. And if you, if you work at it, if you're really honest and earnest, and Mrs. Eddy says you have to strive for the truth, it doesn't just sort of fall into your lap. You have to work at it. But if, you, if you're honest and sincere about it, It'll get easier and easier 
and life will be will never be the same. And that's a good thing. Lawrence, what did you want to say? Yes, I think it's very, very helpful, I found, to accept first that there is a power. God, there's nothing beside me, that I am all. Those three little words, you know, it helped me a lot to really recognize all the time, first obedience to that law. And then, as Gary said, the rest came for me, obeying every time. Thank you. I, it's funny thinking about it being a leap of faith to take to do the um, you know spiritual sense because after this long being here and learning about it to do it the other way now looks like a leap of ignorance you know to try to, <laughs> try to do it the willful way. So. And you do you get you get to where you feel it you know when you're being willful. If something is pushing you and you're feeling kind of ugly, actually. You're not really feeling at peace. You want to do it your way. You can tell. But at first, maybe because you've been that way for so long, as Gary says, you've got to practice it. You've got to try it, and, and you'll learn. And if you really are seeking to do God's will, you'll learn, and any mistakes you make won't be too bad. <laughs> can always change your ways and turn around. So, so important, these lessons that we learn. Keep God at the head of our parade, always. Otherwise, there are many mistakes all for how many years before? That's right. First point, I am God. Better believe there's nothing else. Yes. It's a long time, but it's because I missed bypass the first one yeah yeah now that's real that's really important we should never fear to make a mistake <laughs> I'm not, yeah because <laughs> no, that's how we learn mm -hmm. and i i look back at my life i've learned more from my mistakes than i have from my you know you know instructions the mistakes i've made are indelibly in Printed on my, you know, on my mind, and and I don't forget them. Yeah, yeah, I won't do that again. <laughs> yeah, I was telling Linda the other day. I had heard before that good judgment comes from bad judgment. So I told her, if you, if you see me using good judgment, just know that before I messed it up, <laughs> that I learned. Right, and that's why it's important to let your children make their mistakes too. Can't protect them from everything let them then they'll really learn it um you know we, we get overprotective don't want them to bump their heads well if they bump their head they'll learn not to, do, to do that, that. again <laughs> so learn by your mistakes you do okay our subject today is sacrament and um we'll read the golden text first chronicles second oh sorry second chronicles because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. So here we are again, <laughs> humbling ourselves and making, becoming tender-hearted, not hard-hearted. Hard-hearted means God can't reach you because you're you're being so willful. That's the story. Remember, in the Pharisees, they couldn't. 
and the sorry the pharaoh <laughs> couldn't reach the pharaoh because he had hardened his heart right wouldn't yeah. listen all those pharisees were like that too but um nabal uh, abigail's first husband yeah abigail's first husband nabal there are a lot of examples in the bible of a hardened heart wouldn't change naaman was for a while hardened wasn't he then he he wouldn't go on the river jordan mm -hmm. and then servants who had a soft heart explained to him why he was being you know not good to himself mm -hmm. he was to do some great quest why not do this uh, I, yeah <laughs> I mean, he was just harming himself <laughs> yeah Okay, Carol, I, I want you to read the, um, the responsive reading, please, all of it. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. And thou shalt say in... And and thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Thank you. <clears throat> And, you know, this is where in many ways our nation is and maybe other nations as well. When you forgot, when you forget God and you forget who, who did all the wondrous things, all the tremendous wealth our country has enjoyed, when we forget God, then we, we get humbled, don't we? <laughs> We're being humbled. We've been humbled for a while now. All these things that have gone on in our nation are not normal or natural. Um, from shootings and storms and other things, we have a list. I know it used to be, oh, something would happen and we'd do a watch on it. And then it was like, my gosh, every week <laughs> we were having to do a watch on all this stuff. No, this is not normal. And this is a wake-up call to humble ourselves before God and um, to remember who that, did it all? That it's not our power or our hand that that acquired this wealth. 
that obtained this world. No. It's not, it's not a great human mind in charge of things here. Thank you. So, and as we learn this lesson, individually and collectively, things will change in our, our country. And, and this, I will call it a spirit of the Antichrist, will leave. It will destroy itself. It will dissipate. Um, ultimately, it has no power. But if we, if we desert God and, and worship things instead of him, we seem to give it a power. And these are lessons we have to learn. And we can learn them. And there are many working to learn them. And again, individually, which brings me to the word, because this lesson on sacrament is about covenant. And what is a covenant? Promise. A contract. Yes, contract. Between whom? God and his idea, man. Yes. And then, as I've said years ago, Mr. Evans told us all here to make our covenant with, with God. This was common practice in the Bible, um, to make that covenant, and where you say, Father, I'll be obedient to you as best I can. I will follow your precepts, your commandments, Sermon on the Mount. I will live up to those. And in so doing, God blesses you. That's the covenant. Um, Carrie sent me something. I thought this was rather interesting. It says an O.F. Stafford in the Universal Leader says, it is unfortunate for English-speaking Christians that by a confessedly inaccurate translation, we habitually speak of the Old and the New Testament, whereas we should say Old Covenant and New Covenant. Under both dispensations, God is seeking to covenant with men. In the English revision of the scripture, covenant is everywhere given in the text, with testament in the margin. In the American version, the word is covenant, with no alternative. It is a profound truth that the parent spirit is pledged to save and bless on the condition that we believe, love, and obey. That's not beautiful. Like that. Isn't that? Yes. Yeah. So the old covenant and the new covenant. <laughs> it's wonderful. I like that sense of it because it's not, okay, I read the Bible and then I go do my own thing. It's a, it's a covenant. You know, we have to be living it. <laughs> it's all that we're being taught is to help us you know, have the consecration to be able to obey the covenant. So that makes sense. I like that uh, idea of being a covenant, both of them. Yes, thank mm. you. Yeah, it does make sense. Well, and, and think about it. There is a relationship between God and each one of us. There, there is a relationship. And if we have a clue as to what that relationship is, well, how can it help but not be a blessing for anyone who has a clue as to what that relationship is? If you don't have a clue as to what the relationship is, then you're, you know, you're kind of lost. You're floundering around. 
And the covenant is an explanation. It's a law. It is God's law that governs everything in the universe. It is an expression of the relationship that we have with God. And the relationship was established by God, not by us. Not by Moses, not by any person. God established this relationship. And that's why we can have confidence in it. Because it will never let us down. It is so beautiful. And, you know, to think we're not, we, so many people don't know this because they don't know the Bible. They're not taught this. And if any of you haven't at this point not made your covenant with God, do. And, and renew yourself daily to live up to the covenant, to keep his commandments, to walk in his ways, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's not too big of an order. Well, and, and by doing so, we, don't, we, we never lose anything. We don't give up anything. All we were taught here, all you ever have to give up is sin, disease, and death. The sin is the big one because some people don't like to give that up. <laughs> disease and death, they're happy to. But yes, you only gain. And it's, it's tremendous. And in doing this and living up to the covenant of God, obeying his precepts, taking up the cross is in, in this lesson, healing the sick, casting out devils, preach the Christ, to the poor, the receptive thought, what will happen? We'll bring in the millennium. Thank you, Karen. Yes. Now, isn't that awesome? And isn't that what this is all about? We'll bring in the millennium. And what is the millennium? Peace on earth. Yeah, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's... It's been it's the reign the reign of Christ. Well, the reign of Christ for a thousand years is one definition. But it's interesting too because this makes a lot of sense to me too. And in, in Miscellany on two thirty nine, Mrs. Eddy says, "The millennium is a state and stage of mental advancement going on since ever time was. Its impetus, accelerated by the advent of Christian science, is marked." and will increase till all men shall know him, divine love, from the least to the greatest, and one God and the brotherhood of man shall be known and acknowledged throughout the earth. And in thinking about it, before I found this statement by Mrs. Eddy, or if I, I know I'd read it, but I guess I hadn't remembered it. It did, it did make sense to me that this is an ongoing process. It's ongoing, always going on. More and more people finding God, turning their lives around to God. It's the only answer to all these problems we're having. There's no other answer. And as we said many times in our nation, it's a Christian nation and the Christian laws must be obeyed in order for us to keep our freedom. They have to be. And if we don't, then we will lose it. And that, you know, we're I'm quoting, paraphrasing founding fathers here, certainly John Adams and others, Washington. 
It's founded on Christian principles, and it was the place where Christian science was able to spring forth because of that. And if we're not grateful for it and we don't cherish it and we don't go back to our Christian roots, we will lose it and we will have no one to blame but ourselves. So, and it's done individually. And then as we do it individually, it spreads to collectively. Carrie also sent me something very beautiful I'm going to read from. It was an article um, from the 1914 issue, I guess, of the journal. It was called Longing for Light. And it, it, it has something to do with some of what we talked about yesterday. Um, anyway, it says, it's by a Mary Ward Lewis. Those who love nasturtiums, it's a flower, have no doubt noticed that the flower stems vary greatly in length. The flower on the ends of the vines or in sunny locations, while just as bright and perfect, have short stems. While those close to the ground, under the thick leaves, or back in shady corners, have long stems. They have had to reach a long way up to the sunlight. At first, the tiny buds down under the leaves must have had very little sense of the sunshine. Thick, overhanging leaves shut them in, but they felt the call of the light. They needed it, and steadily they grew toward it. One by one they rose above the leaves, and each finally presented its offering of fragrance and beauty. This effort made by them the more desirable for service they had gained by overcoming. We do not need to transplant the flower to enable it to reach the sunshine. We know that it will rise above the leaves and gain by that same effort. So in life, we do not have to go away from our home and friends or change our environment to come to our own. It may be our duty and our advantage to work out the life problem just where we are, even though our surroundings may seem discouraging. In so doing, we shall learn our lessons and gain strength. In rising above the seeming obstacles of our own path, we shall gain the freedom to reach and the wisdom to help others. As we look at the plants in the garden bed, nothing but leaves may appear but under the leaves, the buds are surely pushing their way upward. And when they reach the light, they will be all the stronger and have the longer stems we so much desire because of their patient effort. Now, to me, this was so beautiful because it answers that, that sometimes nagging question, oh, well, some people are born with advantages, right? But you see, wherever, wherever you are, the need for the light will enable you to grow. And, and maybe in all that striving and growing, you, your longer stems will make you of more service to the Father. I, it was such a beautiful thought to me in that regard. Um, 
you know, just because a person has wealth or other things doesn't mean that he's necessarily advantaged in the ways of Christ, is he? Very often that very materiality is what hinders them. Has his own burden. Has his own burden. Every, every child of God has equal opportunity. Which is why we find many times people who start out in life terribly disadvantaged with a lot of obstacles against them turn out to be the finest workers for mankind when they, when they strive for the light and work to overcome those obstacles. And, and to know that that need for the light is in them, and they will strive for it. Maybe all the, the leaves, the clouds, whatever, are over them, but they will feel this impetus to reach, to look, to and to get above it. I mentioned yesterday, and I couldn't remember the name of the book. It was a book Parthens had given me. It was, it's called Release by a Star Daily. And I'll just read the back cover, which sums up what it is about, because this is speaking to this what I just read. Who was Star Daly? A force to be reckoned with. A modern, a modern Dan, Dante who in his teams became a major criminal moving from crime to crime and jail to jail. As he lay in solitary confinement near death, the master himself filled his consciousness with an outpouring of love. Daly began practicing love in action and embarked on a fascinating spiritual adventure. Released during the Great Depression and with only $10 in his pocket and a fifth grade education, he overcame incredible odds and became a respected and well-known Christian author and speaker. He spoke with rare authority and perceptiveness. Now, that's an example of this kind of a thing, isn't it? Terrible odds. The odds were against him, and yet that that reaching for the light, and and the Christ came to him, and changed him in a solitary confinement in prison. So, remember that we have no excuse for not finding the Father, and making our covenant, and He will raise us up out of the worst places. That light will just draw you up and out. It's, it's beautiful, and in this way, and in our prayers, and in our knowing this to be fact a fact, not something, well, maybe. No, this is God. <laughs> this is how God works. This is how the millennium comes, one by one, person by person, beginning, of course, first with ourselves. Any comments on that? Hi. I can't remember now. I was reading somewhere in the some comment, but it's in in the Bible. <clears throat> I just don't remember exactly where, but <clears throat> it says it's in the New Testament, where um, it said that not every we won't be teaching each other this truth. We will all be taught of God. No longer teaching one another, but we will all be taught of God. Yes, and I just found that that very, you know, so it's all within each one of us. Yes, we're helping each other now, but there will come a time where 
we won't even need to do that. We will all just go to the Father. We'll all be taught of Him. I just thought that was. Thank you. Yes, and Mrs. Eddy speaks to that in her home when she talked about the divinity course, and ultimately that's what we all have to take because it does all come from God. It has to, and that we have no intercessor between ourselves and God. He speaks directly to each one of us. And I just, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make a comment about the covenant and memoirs of Mary Baker Eddy. Adam Dickey um, refers to his father's covenant. And I just thought that that would be a great guide if anyone wanted to use it as a guide as to how to do that. It's just so beautiful. Yes, we, ha- we have that. We've had it on our carousel and um, we've, I've read it here, I believe. Yeah, it is on the articles. Yeah, yeah it, it is a very beautiful guide, and it certainly shaped Adam Dickey's life. Thank you, Janet. Yeah, it's a beautiful example of covenant. So we can put it back on the carousel this week. And, you know, the idea, I guess it was in, maybe it was Louise's forum about the, the living, the living of this, the word Shem, the Hebrew word Shem, can mean to listen, hear, listen, obey, heed, pay attention, and uh, God wants a heart where the listening is linked to the obeying. And, and so it must be. And this, this obeying is what brings about demonstration. We talked about this yesterday, too. The proving it. The definition of demonstration. Exhibiting a certain proof. Such proof as establishes a fact or proposition beyond a possibility of a doubt. Shows a contrary position to be absurd or impossible. And, you know, there have been so many demonstrations throughout the years, and I know you've all had them yourselves. But in the Bible, these demonstrations of clear proof of God's care. I mean, how did Jesus, his resurrection, isn't that clear proof? We talked about the Red Sea, clear proof. And yet people still don't believe it or they doubt it. Again, that's the human mind, the materiality of the human mind that won't see what's right before them. That's why they call them miracles. Yeah. Because the human mind can't understand them. (laughs) So throughout this lesson, it brings out the consecration that is needed to consecrate yourself. And that, again, that definition, Mm -hmm. I think, is to um, prepare yourself for divine service consecrating consecrate yourself to this work and um, self-denial sincerity Christianity persistence alone win the prize as they usually do in every department of life so if you think you can do this here today and gone tomorrow no and then you get mad at Christian science like doesn't work in God this and that <laughs> well That's right. It doesn't work because you're not working it. And if you don't want to work it, then be honest and say, I don't I don't want to do this. I just want to live my life and do whatever I want to and go to the doctors and live that life the way you want to. But do not blame it on Christian science. Or God or God. No way. And those of us here know this. And when we hear the naysayers or the whiners or the complainers and those who say it doesn't work, we know what's going on. 
because it does work when you work it, but it takes this consecration. And I understand some people don't want it. They want to do whatever they darn well want to do. Well, and they can, and they can partake of the Adam dream and life and matter. But please do not blame it on Christian science. It's over and over in this lesson, and it talks about um, forsaking all worldliness, right? Paul and John had a clear apprehension that his mortal mind achieves no worldly honors except by sacrifice, so he must gain heavenly riches by forsaking all worldliness. Then he will have nothing in common with the worldly affections, motives, and aims. And judge not future advancement of Christian science by the steps already taken, lest you yourself be condemned for failing to take the first step. So, here we are. Um, and, and to forsake worldliness is not some horrible, terrible thing, is it? Because that's what people think. Oh, gosh, I won't have fun anymore. We have plenty of fun here. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. And we're, yes, joy, vivacity, good humor. A lot of fun, real fun, real joy we have. We're missing out on nothing in living this life. And, and, you know, to forsake worldliness, what does that mean practically? It just means I don't want to be judged by the world's standards. Because the world's standards change every day, every year. What's in fashion today is going to be out of fashion next year. I don't want to be judged by those standards because they are meaningless to God. I don't know who said this, but um, if you're not having fun, you're not practicing Christian science. Thank you. I speak now young. Absolutely. Yes, if you're not having fun. Real, really working this, you have so much fun. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful way of life. You're missing out on nothing. Thank you, Sharon. That's true. Yes. Uh, I think there's... I think there's two definitions of fun. Some people think fun is escapism, and some people think fun is like fulfillment. I think here it's, the, it's fulfillment. You know, yes. <laughs> so it's the joy that you have that no man can ever take away from you. Exactly. Yeah, we don't need to escape. No, we don't need to escape because real life is so great. Um, real life is is so meaningful, and that's life in God. So that we don't need to escape or. Yeah. So, and, and there are plenty of times of happy refreshment. Just when we need it. Yes, just when we need it. Thank you. So, so this is a wonderful way of life. And uh, now I think I'm going to have Gary read. Um, Linda put up Parthen's forum from a while ago on being sent. It was such a beautiful forum. I'm. <laughs> Few people ask me, well, what's happened to Parthens? Nothing's happened to Parthens. Um, he he might not write on our forum for a while, mainly because he feels right now he needs to dedicate himself in praying for our nation and our world. But nothing's happened to him. Um, he's fine. He's busier than ever, probably. And he, I'm sure he will return again with his um, forum post. 
And so this is the one he wrote on scent, on being sent. And it's a very important. We must all feel that God has sent us or is sending us. And he writes, <clears throat> Parthens writes, And Jesus said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. This is referring to the blind man. Sent is one of the great themes of the Gospel of John, recurring everywhere. For example, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. The Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom... He hath sent him, ye believe not. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Jesus never went anywhere without being sent there. He never performed a single work without being sent to perform that work. He never spoke a word to any audience, great or small, without being sent to speak that word. Whenever self commanded Jesus to look upon and study some material problem with his material eyes, he made himself blind to it. Whenever self commanded Jesus to bear witness of himself with words of self-aggrandizement or self-defense, he became dumb to it. Whenever self commanded Jesus to listen to words of hopelessness and helplessness, like, my daughter is dead, he became deaf to those words, opening his spiritual ears to the voice of the sender, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Sent presupposes the sent one's obedience to the sender. The more willing I am to be sent by the sender, the more obedient I am to hear and act upon the instructions of the sender, the more disobedient I must be to the demands of self that would send me on self-serving errands and missions, all of which lead to nowhere. To be self-sent is to walk in darkness and to immerse oneself in polluted waters dulling spiritual sense while making material sense more acute. But the more obedient I am to the sender's orders, the more blind I am to the testimony of so-called material sight. The more my spiritual eyes are opened, cleansed in the unsullied waters of sense, and thus the more illuminated my path. And from John, and Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. John 9. So, it's, it's beautiful. You can read it for yourself and think about it more deeply, but it, it goes along with this listen and obey, doesn't it? 
and and really we should go nowhere unless we feel sent there by the father and if you are sent there by the father you'll be amazed at what can come out of your mouth and the healing that can go on but if you are just going around looking for your own human enjoyments perhaps not so yes pause again the humility to ask god is this what you would have me to do father um Florence, did you want to speak to that? I know you like this one, too. Yes, I think it's more like allowing God's expression through you. It's not us. We uh, do what he has planned, which he says he has a special plan for everyone. But we won't do that plan unless, as all that's been talked about, that humility, Jesus' example, even he didn't do anything without the Father's direction. So how much more we should just obey <clears throat> and be patient and ready you know, for that transparency for his purpose through us. Thank you. And I think it's instructive, uh, at least for me, when Jesus was first told that his friend Lazarus was sick, he he didn't rush right away to go see him, did he? No. No. He waited for two full days. It was three. I think three days. Before, three days before he before he left. He was waiting for God to send him. And I find that instructive because so many times when I hear there's a problem somewhere or someone's got a problem or someone's in trouble or something needs to be taken care of, first impulse is, oh, I got I to gotta go do something right away. Well, that is oftentimes the wrong, the wrong thing. But what I've learned is quietly get away from it and ask God, God, what would you have me do? See the situation correctly. See God as all. And then wait for God to send you. This, this means there's no, there's no room for rushing. No rushing. Uh -uh, rush. You, right away, you've got a flag on your head. Look at me. I'm in the wrong mind. Okay? I'm rushing. Uh-uh. It's a stately goings of mind, Mrs. Eddy says. Faith makes ways, my grandmother used to tell me. <clears throat> Anytime you feel yourself rushing, pressured, pushed, it's animal magnetism. You slow down. Slow down. Get your peace. Yeah, Jesus waited three days. He didn't rush. He, oh my gosh, what's happened to my friend? I got to get my son over as soon as possible. No. And because he waited and listened, power, see, immense power for service. All of this follows, and it, it goes with the watching point, too, about not being willful. You rise in the strength of spirit. Anytime you feel rushing, then, again, you're in the wrong mind. Stop it. Human mind running ahead <laughs> to do nothing. 
but doing nothing, rushing around smartly is proof of what? Accomplishing nothing. Nothing. Yeah, Mrs. Eddy, improve your improve your time. She talks about that, not to rushing around smartly. A lot of people think because they're rushing around, that means they're important and they have so much to do and I'm so important because I'm rushing around. Well, that's just not the way of it. <laughs> it shows it shows me, myself, and I is in residence and God is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> there's, a, there's a term um, that we sometimes refer to, uh, human do-goody. Mm -hmm. Anybody want to tell us what human do-goody is? I've seen examples of it. It's like the thought that always think they know best and they they have to be doing good. And they really do feel that they're doing good. And it may be good, but it's only humanly good. Because if you listen first, it might be a contrary action that you would be taking, which would have a better um, effect. So as long as it's from the human sense of doing things, I think you started wrongly. Thank you. Thank you. And this is what we've been talking about, isn't it? It's, it's going ahead and doing something without being sent by God. And it doesn't always work out. Well, In fact, it, it never does. It never does. <laughs> because it's the human will sending you. At times it might start off right, but it doesn't last too long. Well, yeah. And ultimately you will find, and again, you'll be more aware of your motives. Your motives is about self. I'm going to do something great for this person. I'm going to do it. And it's, it's me. It's not quietly, Father, what does this person need? Um, and then you do it. And then, and then it's a blessing. And then you have to unwind all your snarls and you think you've done this. You have to undo everything you did somehow and learn it. Right. Yes. And fix it and make amends. And if you're on the other side of that human do-goody too, it never feels good. No. And there's no. usually strings attached. Yeah. They're not going to be grateful for all the wonderful things I've done for them. Anyway, it's a godless situation. And I, this was something I thought very beautiful. I'd heard this before about the Apostle John, but it's in, it was in Louise's forum where the story of John, the beloved disciple in Jerome's commentary, John was very advanced in years and would stand up at every agate feast and repeat the same testimony. Little children love one another. And then he would sit down. They held the agate feast at this time nightly. So this same word was frustrating to the, to the early listeners. Finally, someone asked him, John, why do you repeat the instruction every single night? Don't you have something new to tell us? <laughs> and John remarked, little children, if you love one another, that will fulfill it all, and you will have done everything. And then from Mrs. Eddy, love one another is the most simple and profound counsel of the inspired writer. I love that. I'd heard that before. I was glad she wrote that whole story that, you know, that was, his, that was, that was it. Again, you don't need a lot of <laughs> all these quotes and everything. Just take one or two, or as, as God directs you, live that one and see what wonderful things it can do for you. Listen and obey and demonstrate. So Gary, Gary read this at our board meeting this week, but I thought it was so lovely. He's going to conclude on it today. These are uh, excerpts from 
miscellaneous writings, her article Address in Chicago. Christian science and the senses are at war. It is a revolutionary struggle. We already have had two in this nation, and they began and ended in a contest for the true idea, for human liberty and rights. Now cometh a third struggle for the freedom of health, holiness, and the attainment of heaven. The scientific sense of being which establishes harmony enters into no compromise <laughs> with finiteness and feebleness. It undermines the foundations of mortality, of physical laws, breaks their chains, and sets the captive free, opening the doors for them that are bound. The science of omnipotence demonstrates but one power, and this power is good, not evil, not matter, but mind. This virtually destroys matter and evil, including sin and disease. Science has inaugurated the irrepressible conflict between sense and soul. Mortal thought wars with this sense as one that beateth the air, but science outmasters it and ends the warfare. This proves daily that one on God's side is a majority. How shall we reach our true selves? Through love. The principle of Christian science is love, and its idea represents love. I will love if another hates. I will gain a balance on the side of good, my true being. This alone gives me the forces of God wherewith to overcome all error. Because God is mind, and this mind is good, all is good, and all is mind. God is the sum total of the universe. Then what and where are sin, sickness, and death? Christian science and Christian scientists will, must, have a history. And if, I, <clears throat> and if I could write the history and pour parody on Tennyson's grand verse, it would read thus, Traitors to right of them, MDs to left of them, priestcraft in front of them, volleyed and thundered, into the jaws of hate, out through the door of love, on to the blessed above, marched the 100. Mm -hmm. You're ready. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.